Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. It is good to be able to have this opportunity to worship our God together. We've got a good crowd of folks with us this morning. We have visitors with us. We want to welcome you and commend you on the choice that you've made, not just to be here with us, but to be here to worship God with us. That is the key component to what this day, each and every first day of the week, is about. And I've been excited and encouraged and uplifted by the worship that we've had this day so far. And I'm really excited about the time that we have for a few minutes to dive into God's Word just a little bit. Now, I know this week has been a long one for a lot of folks. There's been people traveling. There's been various camps in the area. And I know that brings back some tired folks. And I know even a lot of us have had longer weekends, having a holiday weekend here involved, and I know people have been coming and going, and and maybe we're a a bit weary this morning. And so uh, knowing that for most of this week, what we're going to talk about this morning isn't going to be overly complicated. So I'm not going to ask for you to really be digging into the deepest recesses of your mind and really working hard in that capacity this morning, so it's not going to be overly complicated, but what I am going to ask for this morning is absolute openness. Now, hopefully you always give that when God's Word is open, and you're reading it and you're studying from it. Well, we need to always be open about what we see. We need to always be honest with ourselves in the reality that we're living in versus the reality that God provides for us in His Word. But this morning, If you can just allow yourself a level of openness, our study this morning from God's Word, I promise you will be fruitful. And so with no further ado, let's dig right in. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 12, a passage that a lot of us will be familiar with. It's going to be the springboard for our discussion this morning. In Romans chapter 12, beginning of verse 1, the Apostle Paul has this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I want you to understand the aim of this passage, especially here in verse 1. When we think about the very aim of this passage, it is that God is expecting, He wants our life. He wants all of our life, complete and utter allness. I'll make that phrase up. He wants all of our life to be and to become spiritual worship. Now, I use the New King James Version. That's the passage that you have up here behind me. But if you use a different translation, every other translation, whether it's the New American Standard or whether it's the English Standard or even the NIV, you're going to see the actual word worship there. And that certainly is the connotation. It is the idea. And what that drives us to be thinking about is that we are to be using all of our mind and all of our heart and all of our bodies to then express what it is God means to us. That's in a lot of ways what worship is, right? It is my expression of the value that I have given to God. 
And for me, now I'm going to speak just for me. I hope it's very similar for you. But for me, God has incredible value, the most value. And so because of that reality in my life, the way that I think, the way that I speak, the way that I operate, the way that I behave, the places that I go, the things that I do, because God has incredible value and he means so much to me, my life will show that. That's worship. It's lifting him up in all that I do in all that I think about, in all the places that I go, in all that I say, I'm lifting up God. Now, I want you to take notice in this passage, after he kind of establishes the aim, right? This is what we are shooting for, that our life, our very life, be worshipped to God. So he gives in the very next verse, that is verse 2, Really, in a lot of ways, Paul's answer to how we do that. He says, the way that you turn the entirety of your life into worship, he says, we have to be transformed. Now, I want you to understand, that's not just external behavior. That's not what transformed is all about, right? It's not just our external behavior, but it is the very way that we think, the very way that we feel. It is transforming the mind. Now, I want you to think about that idea. And I want you to, I want you to hold your finger in Romans chapter 12. We're going to come back to it here in just a moment. But I want you to be thinking now, this is something I've thought a lot about recently, and this is kind of, a, kind of the reason this lesson came to be a little bit. There's one other reason that we'll get to at the very end. But I want you to think about how biblically God describes those who are in Christ. I want to read three passages, and I want you to follow along with me. You can certainly turn there, but I want you to think about the way that God describes in his word those who are in Christ and what their life would be like. The first is in the book of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. We're going to read three passages fairly quickly. I'll give you a little bit of a heads up. The first will be here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The second will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And the third will then be in Colossians chapter 3. So you can kind of be keeping those in your mind. But the first, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Paul will go on to say, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, I want you to think about that passage we had in Romans chapter 12 that's up here on the screen. When Paul says, you have to be transformed. That that, that isn't just, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm looking differently. I am different. That's what transformation is. And that should make sense to passages like this. He says, for those who are in Christ are a new creation. It's not that we have just changed and altered a few things from the old man. 
or we have adjusted some things that we were, or we are thinking a touch differently from what we were before. No, Paul says that old is completely gone, and now there is something new. So keep that in mind. Look back just a few pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 now and verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. This is a passage in talking about sin that this church was dealing with, specifically there and among them, and how they need to handle it. Listen to the language that's used. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Don't you think about the language that's used here? The, the language isn't, hey, just kind of push aside or make more of. It is purge out the old. Why? So that there can be new. One other passage, Colossians chapter 3. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and listen to the language that is used here. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. This is right after you've had words like you have in verse 5. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And then this list of all of these wicked things you had in verse 8. But now you must put off all of these things. Again, another list that's given to us. And now listen to the language in verse number 10, and this will full circle back to the screen. And have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And so the language that you have here with Paul Put to death the old members. Put off the old man. Now put on the new. And so when we come back to Romans chapter 12. And you have the aim of this idea. Your life is to be worshipped. Your life, not pieces of your life or some of your life or even most of your life. Your life is to be worshipped. Now how do you do that? You've got to be transformed. You are something new. You are something different. The old has been put to death. The old has been put away. The old has been purged. And now there is something new. And so our aim of this worship, by being transformed, how does it happen? The aim of this is a renewed mind. And that comes by discernment of God's will. Now, I want you to now put all of those things together. You may be sitting there thinking, you told me at the beginning, this is not going to be complicated, right? That's what my mind is saying. Now, you said this isn't going to be complicated. Well, I don't want you to overcomplicate it because everything that we've talked about is right here in front of us. What does God want? He wants our life to be worshipped, wants our whole life to be worshipped. How does that happen? We are transformed. Well, how do we do that? Well, our mind is being renewed. Well, how does that happen? Through God's will. And so now the whole thing starts at the bottom. 
God's will. And so I want us to now think for a few minutes specifically about the will of God. How important, I'll change that word to vital it is. Because it becomes the key component to my mind being renewed. It becomes the key component to my transformation. It becomes the key component to then my life being worship. And that's exactly what God is looking for. And so when we're thinking about the will of God, there are really two areas that, biblically speaking, we see this phrase used. Two different ways. The first really contains or pertains to God's sovereign control over everything. He is in control of everything that we see. Here's a couple examples of that. Maybe passages that you're familiar with. But one in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus makes specific mention to this side of God's will. Just his control over everything. So in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, as Jesus is in the garden and he is praying to the Father, he says he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Then he says, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so what's he referring to? He's referring to God's sovereign plan about what is about to take place, right? What is about to take place? That is the will of God. Think about it this way. There's a really interesting passage in the book of Acts. Now, after this certainly has taken place of what Jesus is about to go through, what is about to happen... I want you to look in Acts chapter 4. There's a really interesting thing that happens in Acts chapter 4 that I think helps us to understand this a little bit. In Acts chapter 4, verse 27, he says, For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. And so you have a really interesting phrase here that really is talking about now God's will. So to put those things together, God's will was that Jesus was going to be crucified. That was the plan. That was the decree. There's now no changing that. And so Jesus recognizes it. And he says, it's not about my will. It's about your will. That's an important thing for us to be able to do. Even in this moment, Jesus had to know. He understood what was about to take place. He understood it wasn't going to be great for him. He understood some very difficult things were about to happen. He knew all of his disciples were going to run away. He he knew physically it was going to be uncomfortable. He, He knew emotionally and mentally it was going to be difficult. He knew all of those things, but yet at the same time acknowledged God's will rule. And this is what had to happen. This is the plan. 
Just a simple understanding of that helps. And so even for us, I mean, there's an example given to us in 1 Peter chapter 3 that I think is just by way of quick application is important for us to understand. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17, you have this, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter's making the point, it may be God's will that Christians suffer. We've got to be able to deal with that and understand that. And so this level of God's will, God's governance, if you will, of all that comes to pass is control over all things. The Bible talks about that. But there is a second part of God's will we're going to spend the most of our time on this morning. And it is what he commands us to do. This is another part of God's will. And it is, I believe, what Romans chapter 12 is referring to. It is what he commands us to do. I want you to look at a couple of examples of how this is used biblically. So you have a passage like Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, specifically from the mouth of Jesus, he says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And so now we're talking about God's will, but yet pertaining to what he commands us to do. And so you hear the idea given to us here from Jesus. The point is being made that not everyone is going to do the will of the Father. But yet he also makes the point that not everybody will enter into his kingdom. Why? Because not everyone will do the will of the Father. Now we'll also have even very specific things given to us. Again, this time in the book of 1 Thessalonians, there's a couple of you know, interesting examples given to us, especially the wording that's there. Maybe you've taken notice of it before. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, listen to the wording of this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Right? So it states it. This is God's will. This is what I command you to do. You are to abstain from sexual immorality. It is the will of God. Same wording in the very next chapter, chapter 5 and verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So again, that wording you have. In everything give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God. This is what he has said that we need to do. Very specific things. One final thought on this point in 1 John, very similar to the passage that we have in Matthew chapter 7. But in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, it says that the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, the point that's being made there, not everybody is going to abide forever. Not everybody is going to be alive for eternity in heaven. Not everybody is going to do that, but some will. Those that follow God's will. And so I want you to be thinking about these two things, specifically this last one, as it pertains to Romans chapter 12, because in the Romans 12 passage, I believe it's clearly referring to God's will of command. You see, God doesn't intend for us to know what his sovereign will is ahead of time. I don't know what God's will is for me this afternoon. He does. I don't know what that is. So the idea that we are to discern something implies that we've got to understand it. We've got to be obedient to it. We've got to be able to follow it. And so I want us to now take that 
and cut it up into three pieces. What should then be my approach to the will of God? I want you to give you to really into three steps, and they'll all build upon the one before it. So the first one is this. God's will is revealed with authority in the Bible. What we have here in front of us, right? God's will. Well, God's word. We'll refer to it oftentimes. We've got at the very outset understand what it is. We've got to understand how important it is. We've got to understand the value of it. We've got to understand the power behind it. God's will that we've been talking about is revealed to us. It's revealed with decisive authority. It is revealed with finality here only in the Bible. And so as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, now we've got to, we've got to attack it with discernment, with this renewed mind. Without the renewed mind, we'll distort the scriptures. We'll avoid them altogether. We, we see that all the time. We see that all the time from those who are not transformed, for those that are not discerning, from those that are not renewing their mind. They'll just approach the scriptures in a very different way. You know, there's a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that we often use to reference inspiration and that the scriptures are God-breathed, and, and we, we have it there, and rightly so. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, there in verse 16 and 17, we have there in verse 16, but verse 17 specifically, as kind of Paul concludes this thought, he says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He mentions there every good work, not just some good works, but every good work. And so I want you to be now thinking about when it comes to the will of God, what it is and how important it is, the energy, the time, the devotion that we should be spending with it. I want you to start to think, what is the energy I spend, the time I spend, the thought process I use with God's word. I want you to be thinking about your use of God's will. Because when we get now into step two of that, we start to now consider the application of our truth and how important it is to be a complete part of us. Why? Why is that so important? Listen, the Bible doesn't tell us how to make every minute decision that we make on a daily basis. I mean, we make thousands of decisions every day. Every day. We make decisions about when to get up and, and, and where to go and, and what job to have and what car to drive and what house to buy what food to eat, what people we spend time with. I mean, we make thousands of decisions daily. And the Bible doesn't tell us distinctly, as we saw, abstain from sexual immorality or in everything give thanks. The Bible isn't going to tell us how to make each and every minute decision that we face every day, each and every day on that daily basis. But what is then necessary is that we have this renewed mind that is so shaped and so governed by God's word 
that each and every time we see our lives through the mind of Christ and what God is calling us to be, that this book is so a part of who I am. It is so ingrained in my mind that now it becomes a factor as I assess everything that I have in front of me. It's a part of my thought process in every way. A couple of passages in the Gospel of John that that I think can help us to kind of understand this idea. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth, Jesus says, and the truth, the truth will be the thing that sets you free. It is what he has given us to provide us then. Again, verse 17 of John chapter 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This step, this particular step, is that discerning application of situations each and every day that we have in life. We have to have it ingrained into us in order to be ready for those things. And so we put all of that together to where Forrest was in Matthew chapter 12. I want you to think about the reality that the vast majority of our life, there is no reflection before we act. I'd say 90% or more of our behavior each and every day is not in any capacity premeditated. It's just the life we live. It's how we react to things around us. Even things that we're not happy with, even ways in which we shouldn't operate, such as anger or deceit or malice, most of the times when we operate that way, it just comes out. We don't stop and think. It just happens. And most of our day, a huge majority of our day is just like that. That our life just happens. Our actions are kind of spontaneous. They, as you may figure where we're headed, just spill over from what is already inside of us. You know, we read there in Matthew chapter 12, or, or Forrest read for us there in Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus makes this point, specifically in verses 34 and 35, when he says, How can you be evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. And so Jesus is making the point, if there is evil inside, evil will come out. But if there is good inside, good will come out. And so each and every time that we're jostled in some way, what spills out? Well, what comes out? Well, what comes out is what is in there. And life on a daily basis, over and over and over, shakes us in some way and something comes out. But what comes out is what we have put in. And so we've already talked about the importance of understanding what God's will is, but even the importance of understanding the truth of it. And so now the idea that that I think in every way, 
that if we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind, we have those new hearts, we have those new minds. I think then the point that Jesus makes in verse 33, right above where we just read, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. It's one or the other. And so for us, when we begin to think about it, it becomes a necessity to not just read the will of God or not just be able to dominate Bible trivia when it comes out on game night. It is to immerse yourself in the will of God. And I'll tell you, as I've gotten older, I've understood that more for sure. But the importance of not just reading God's word or not just looking at God's word, but immersing yourself in God's word, saturating yourself with God's word. Why? Why do we do that? So that my spillover is going to be the will of God, right? That my spillover will be the word of God. We had uh, in our class this morning, it, just, it certainly just happened to, to be that I wasn't teaching. Brandon was. But we're in the high school class, and we're talking about our relationships with God and, and the importance of that relationship and how to grow that relationship. And, and so, uh, for sure, we're talking about communication. That's an important part uh, of any relationship, including our relationship with God. And we've talked a lot about our communicating with Him through prayer, and now we're kind of in the midst of uh, the section of God communicating with us. And we were studying this morning from Psalm 119. We spent all of our time there this morning. And Brandon made a point, just a comment that he made, that I'd not really thought much about before and really, really liked it. I mean, it's still on my mind now, so I'll tell you, I really, really liked it. But we're making, he was making the point about Psalm 119. If you're familiar with that chapter, it's long, right? The longest chapter in certainly the book of Psalms, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. And he even made the point of how many books of the Bible it was longer than. 30, 31, 32, 31. One more, 32, 30, 31. 31, all right, we're trying to do a little sign language. I think it was 30, right? Even that chapter by verse is longer than 31 books of the Bible, almost half. But then he made the point. When you think about Psalm 119, and I've, I've made the point before, what's it about? It's about the Word of God. Every verse is about the Word of God. But then he made this point, which I thought was really good. He said the longest chapter in the Bible, longer than almost half of the books in the Bible, is a love poem to God's Word. What a powerful way to think about it. In essence, a love poem to God, but because of His Word. And I thought about that, and I thought, man, what an interesting but yet powerful way to think about God's Word. It's not just about reading it. It's not just about knowing all of the answers. It's just not about studying the words, per se. It is about immersing yourself in it. 
Why? So that it becomes a part of who I am. Becomes a very essence of what I'm about. And so each and every day as I'm going throughout my day and dealing with things that happen in my day, what's popping out constantly? It is God's word. So as we close, I want you to think about the second part of how we got to the lesson here. Something that I've been thinking about a lot already. We had a a singing on Wednesday night. Uh, A lot of you certainly were here. And uh, Matt, uh, McKee, I want sign language with you. I know the song that you led. So Matt led a song, Sweet Will of God, 822. I want everybody to grab a song book if you can. We're not going to sing it, but I want us to read it together. Uh, we, we, we were singing Wednesday night, 822, Sweet Will of God. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how many times in my life I have sang that song. I don't know. A lot. I mean, it's a song I knew. But, I mean, there are sometimes songs that are led, especially on those singings that maybe I, I don't know very well or I've never heard before. But this wasn't one of them. I, I've sang this song lots of times. I'm very familiar with this song. But for whatever reason, and this happens sometimes, and I'm sure it happens to you as well, as we were singing this song, it just, it just came across me in a very different way than normal. So much so that I'd already kind of been thinking about some of these things, but what I had been working on for this morning's lesson got shoved aside on Thursday, and, and this took over. But I want you to think about, as we read, what we've talked about this morning and the words of this song. It is a beautiful song, but yet powerful in the way it talks about God's Word. And I think it is exactly what we're looking for, especially the chorus. We'll read it just once at the end. But I want you to think about this idea of just immersing yourself in God's word. Because it has to be that which comes out. So we'll read the four verses and then the chorus afterwards. Hopefully you've got it open. 822 is the song number. It goes as this. My stubborn will at last hath yielded. I would be thine and thine alone. And this the prayer My lips are bringing, Lord, let in me thy will be done. Words written in the year 1900, by the way, over 100 years old. That's why you're getting these thines and thous. Verse 2, I'm tired of sin, foot sore and weary. The darksome path hath dreary grown, but now a light has risen to cheer me. I find in thee my star, my sun. Now look at verse 3. Thy precious will, O conquering Savior, doth now embrace and compass me. All discords hush my peace a river, my soul a prison bird set free. Verse 4, shut in with me, O Lord, forever, my wayward feet no more to roam. What power from thee my soul can sever? The center, what an incredible phrase. The center of God's will, my home. Now listen to this chorus. It's incredible, certainly with what we've talked about this morning. Sweet will of God, 
still fold me closer till I am wholly lost in thee. Sweet will of God, still fold me closer till I am wholly lost in thee. When I was thinking about that idea of saturating yourself or just immersing yourself in the will of God, that idea comes from that song we sang on Wednesday night. Sweet will of God, fold me closer till I am wholly lost in thee. What a powerful thought that is. And so as we close and we think about where we've been, I would encourage you this week to just begin to openly and honestly assess your relationship with the will of God. Is it just something you read from time to time? Is it just something that comes out every now and again? Is it just something that, you know what, I've heard it's good to read a couple of verses for 10 minutes every morning, so that's what I do. It's not bad to read your Bible. It's great. It's not bad to read for 10 minutes every morning before you start your day. That's great. But we've got to take those other steps. So it's not about just reading God's Word. It is about enveloping yourself with God's Word. Why? Because that's what I need to come out. Because Jesus tells us, listen, it is a good fruit, a good tree that bears good fruit. It's not the other way around. It just can't be the other way around. So what kind of tree are we going to be? Marcus is going to lead us in a song of invitation. It gives us, you know, an opportunity to continue to be thinking about, not not just where we are, but certainly where we are in relation to God, specifically our relationship with him. It is the thing that the entirety of our life should be about. It's where we started this morning, right? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, my life's aim is worship to God. So my life's aim is. I'm either fulfilling that or I'm not. And certainly one way to do that is to being in Christ, having our sins washed away. And maybe you know that's what you need this morning. What can happen for you this morning? You know, maybe it's another thing in your life that is keeping you away from God, being fully enveloped in what he is all about. Let's make a change this morning. Maybe I can help you with that. Maybe we can help you with that. If we can, you let us know as we stand and sing.